none of it would have been possible if not for that really bad moment. I think I might still be a fence sitter, actually. Like, I think I still might just be like, you know, living this like life where I'm like, I can't see myself having kids and I'm not going to try to have children, but I'm not going to speak about why it actually is meaningful for me not to have children. And I'm not going to like really claim this life that I want as a woman who is child free. Hi, I'm Anna Olson, and you're listening to We're Not Kidding, a podcast devoted to sharing stories surrounding the child-free life. As a life coach, I'm passionate about helping women feel confident and empowered in their choice not to have children. And I believe that by sharing our stories, we help break the stigma. So let's dive in. All right. Welcome back to the podcast, everyone. I... I am so excited for today's guest. She has become like an incredible friend. So today we are speaking with Kai Gerbish. So like, I want to give a little bit of backstory on you from my perspective, because um, honestly, I, I don't know where I'd be right now without you, which is pretty, I mean, I know that's like a big thing to say, but it's honestly true. Um, so you joined Wink Club last year and then we connected and then you you weren't afraid to like uh, send me messages and, and have suggestions. And it like was the timing was incredible because I get really bogged down, like trying to having to come up with ideas and, and like keeping myself motivated. And you just came in and like helped bring these ideas I sort of had but like you brought this other side to them and like they came to life because of you so like with that we have so much exciting stuff happening in wink club and i feel like the community has become much more of a community because of your leadership there and also your like willingness to co-lead on things with me and it's just like i cannot express how much gratitude i have for you plus you're just like amazing (laughs) (laughs) i just Yeah, I just want to really give you a shout out. Like, I can't thank you enough for everything you've done for me personally and for Wink Club. It just wouldn't be what it is without you. So, well, the feeling is like super mutual. I feel like I just came in and I was like, hey, like, I'm very new to like my identity as a child free person. But like, I have a lot of ideas and opinions. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Can we like do all these weird things? And you were just like, yeah, sure. This is great. Like, I remember the first like coffee chat that I joined. I think it was just you, me and Kelly. And I was like, can I tell you guys all these weird facts about nuns and how like (laughs) nuns are like low key child free idols. (laughs) Wink and you like came into my life at this moment that I'm sure we'll get into that was like, I needed other child free women so badly. I think it was that moment for a lot of people in general. Like it was Last fall, the pandemic had like slowed down. We were vaccinated, but life still felt very weird. Mm -hmm. And I had gone through this like huge identity change in the three years of the pandemic at that point and didn't have anywhere to put that. Like Mm -hmm. I was just like, what am I going to do? How am I going to like find people that uplift this new, very important part of me that I want to like live in a loud way? And you were just like, here, like here, like come on over here, like wink exist. I already made this space for you. And I was like, oh my God, someone did all the work already. I can just come in and be bossy. Like amazing. (laughs) I would not describe you as bossy. (laughs) I think I'm like bossy and like the way that I wish women use the word bossy. Like Mm. I'm not bossy and like the 
I come in and I like tell you what to do and I'm a man and I'm like being mean and like having everyone wear business suits. I come in and I'm like, I have ideas and I can get people excited about them. And like, this is the type of leadership that I would say is like very compelling leadership. It's the way I like to be led, but it doesn't have this like negative impact on people. And I think like when I use the word bossy, I'm just trying to like get people to think like, oh, this is what bossy could be. We could be bossy in this way. I love that because I see you as a leader and I think like you have really, really great ideas and you're more than just ideas. Like you're able to follow through on them and bring them into reality, which is super cool. I needed you and Wink Club needed you. (laughs) And uh, it's cool that however it worked, but the universe or whoever brought us together. And uh, I've learned so much from you, not only in terms of like reframing how I think of nuns, like in that very first (laughs) coffee chat, which I vividly remember, but also as we'll get into, we co-piloted a course together in Wink and seeing you facilitate I learned so much from how you do that and how you can hold a space for a group of people and make it a safe space and help people like open up. And it was just like incredibly powerful and moving and also very, I think, life changing. Uh, But yeah, you just you've taught me a lot through your example. And I'm just like, so grateful. (laughs) Well, I appreciate that. And I also like hope you know that it, none of it would be possible without you. It's all stuff that like, if I deserve any credit, you you deserve double the credit for having the vision to create the space in the first place and like being the person that you are that like welcomes and brings so many people in. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. Okay. So now that I... <laughs> <laughs> now that we've like gushed about that. each other. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Can you tell us all a bit about yourself? Yeah. So like, as we said, I'm Kai. I am a writer. I live in the Berkshires. In my writing, I guess I would describe myself as a personal essayist. I write nonfiction. And then my writing beats are, right now I focus on sexual assault and legal reform around sexual assault, abortion, and being child-free. Outside of my writing, I think I'm much more interesting. I'm married. I have two cats. I'm obsessed with them. They might run into the microphone at some point. (laughs) And my husband and I run like a little hobby farm. So we have a bunch of trees and I am in charge of the flower side of things. So I grow dahlias and roses. I've tried to grow many other things, but really the dahlias and roses are the only thing that is consistently successful. Amazing. Yeah. I live vicariously (laughs) through you and your photos and everything. It's really, really cool what you guys are doing. I was just like writing some blog posts about the trees yesterday. And I was like, I'm such a nerd. I was writing about this tree that we have. So we name all of our trees. So trees and roses generally both come named. And Mm -hmm. tree names tend to be like after whoever discovered its like wife. So it's like there's lots of trees that are like Joe's best. And it's like, oh, that's a weird name. But (laughs) rose names like tend to sound like horse races. Whoever is like naming them have like uh, aspirations to like name horses so I have one that's called like Florida's glowing sunbelt love um (laughs) and uh yeah just like these very strange long names but we when they come to our farm we give them personalized names and every everything gets like a little nameplate and so I was writing about one of my favorite trees yesterday whose name is Javi Javier Javi for short and he's a bristlecone pine which is the longest living non-clonal tree species, which is like a very specific niche thing, but there's bristlecone pines that uh, have been dated at over 4,000 years old, which is like really cool. Whoa. 
That's amazing. Yeah. Cool. Well, I can see why you would like geek out on that stuff. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Come for the child-free talk. Stay for the tree facts. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like you are a wealth of facts, actually, because I have learned like the nun stuff. And then something that still blows my mind was when I don't remember what conversation we were having, but the blood is thicker than water. Yes. Thing. Yeah. Yeah, this is like one of my favorite little facts. So I think it's like pretty well, like I'm I'm not like the discoverer of this, but the saying blood is thicker than water is actually a shortening of of a longer saying, which is the blood of the coven is thicker than the water of the womb. And it's actually a saying about how the family that we choose and create is more important than biological family. And so it's funny that in modern times, it's been shortened to the exact opposite of what its original meaning is. Yeah, I love that so much. Because obviously, in the child free space, we talk a lot about chosen family. And, you know, we're not having biological offspring. So, you know, like that yeah, I just love yeah. that the origin of that saying is not what it is like has been shortened to mean now, which is super cool. And yeah, and we he- all need these like the blood of the coven t-shirts. Yes. Oh my gosh. Okay. <laughs> Stay tuned. We're gonna <laughs> that, that's coming. <laughs> Amazing. Yeah, it's funny. I think like most people in my life, if they had to describe me in like a short way, they would be like, Kai is somebody who has a lot of weird facts. I think that's like a ubiquitous <laughs> thing about my life. My maiden name is actually Wright. And my early 20s nickname was I'm Rightopedia because I just like always have these like <laughs> little tiny like snippets of facts. <laughs> I know. I seriously, like every time we talk, I learned something. Last time we talked, it was about tree pollen and why it's so high right now. It's like just- amazing. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so uh, I'm curious, like, was there a moment that you remember first knowing that you didn't want to have kids? Yeah. So this is like my big thing, right? So my husband and I, when we got together, were kind of in this, like, he knew he didn't want to have biological children he was like, yeah, I would be open to adopting. I was like, I'm not super attached to biological children, but like, I can't imagine living a life fully without kids. Cause like, that's what everyone does. Right. And then the first fall of the pandemic. So that would have been fall of 2020. I got pregnant and I had this like bodily reaction to it. Like there are very few things like I think most of the time decisions that I make are like very like logic out and like I don't make mm-hmm. a lot of decisions just based on feeling. And I remember like I took the pregnancy test alone in my bathroom. I like walked out into the sunroom where my husband was and like handed him the test and then just fell down on the bed crying. And he was like, oh, my God, like I'd, he didn't know how to handle it at all. It was very comforting. Yeah. But he I was not even able to like talk about my cognition at this point. And it was just like everything in my body was like having this like physical reaction. I could see my whole life so clearly. And in that moment, I was like, I don't want to have kids. Like there's no part of me that wants this. And it was like very scary to have that reaction. It also like simultaneously made me feel like really broken because I was like, first, I messed up. I got pregnant. I'm an adult. How could I have done this? Second, I don't want to be pregnant. And third, like, it was just like this huge panic moment. And I was like, I never expected to react this way. Like, I I didn't think that I would so viscerally know that I didn't want to have kids. And so to find that out in that moment was like this 
very, very difficult thing for me. And then because it was COVID, it was actually really complicated. I, mm. the closest Planned Parenthood to us was across state borders. We drove there immediately. Like I was like, I, I have to like fix this now. Like I can't like live another moment, like not knowing what to do. We were wearing masks when we crossed the state line. There was like a big sign that said like, that you're not allowed to cross into the state that we were crossing into. And oh I was gosh. just like, oh my God, like, what do I do? And we pulled up to the Planned Parenthood and was shut down. Um, oh. And there was a sign on the door that was like, call this number. And we called it. And I was like on hold for like probably an hour, like in a parking lot. Oh and yeah, it was just like, it was like, so it was so scary. And as I was like waiting on hold, I was going through all these things in my head. Like I knew exactly how pregnant I was because I like am a responsible human. I like track my period and I thought I was like keeping trial. I thought I was doing everything that I should be doing. And mm -hmm. I was just like counting down in my head. Like if I'm this many weeks pregnant, like what state is this legal in? Like, where will I have to go? Like, how will I obtain an abortion? And then we had a friend who had recently needed a medical procedure and had been turned down for it because it was seen as an elective surgery. And we were in this medical emergency. And I was like, am I going to like not be able to find an abortion provider because of COVID? Like, is this even going to be possible? And finally, we got through after an hour on hold. Wow. And the person on the phone was so nice. I like at that point couldn't even say the word abortion. Like I had so much like shame in my body over it that I just said, I need to terminate a pregnancy because in some way that felt more socially acceptable. Yeah. And it was this man on the phone, which was like a very strange thing in that moment. Yeah. And he was so kind. Like I cannot say enough things about Planned Parenthood. I know like local clinic providers are like really important, but Planned Parenthood, like they were so great. And this man was like, he's so calm. And he was like, I, I'm going to take care of you. Like it is okay. I'm going to transfer you. And unfortunately the, the nearest clinic to us that could get me in was three and a half hours away. I live in a very liberal state. I live in a place wow. that like everyone thinks it should be easy to obtain an abortion. And it wasn't, I had to wait two weeks. I had to drive three and a half hours the clinicians were like really amazing, but it was like pretty much like take this medication and go home. And I went home and it was weird. No one wants to hear this much details, but like all of the things that are supposed to happen didn't happen. Like I took the medication and nothing happened. And I was like, am I dying? Like, what do I do? And so I was like on the phone with Planned Parenthood, I don't know, like every six hours, just like totally melting down, but it was all fine in the end. Yeah. And it was this like very strange thing, but like that was the process for me where I was like, I, I know that this is not what I want. And in some ways, I think like a year ago or two years ago, I would have said something like, it sucks that I had to get pregnant to find out that I didn't want children. But in reality, like that's actually, I think how a lot of people find out. Like, I think a lot of people don't know until that moment, like we become pregnant as we come into adulthood. And like, it's like something that we don't know. And I had a really hard time talking about it at the beginning. Like I didn't tell almost anyone that I got an abortion, even though I'm like in these very like liberal circles and like all of my friends are pro-choice. I still felt like it wasn't something I could talk about, especially because it was the moment that like my child-free identity was birthed. And so it like, it was really complicated, but like now, especially, I mean, almost exclusively because you and Wink 
it's something that I like, I'm like really passionate about talking about. Like I talk about it, I write about it. Cause I think when I was younger, that message of like abortion, shouldn't be birth control or like abortion is like a last line thing Mm -hmm. was something that I absorbed, but like, didn't realize how damaging it would be. And then when I found myself in that situation, those were all the mean things that I said to myself, like all of the mean things that I said to myself was like, you're not responsible. Like this is your fault. Like you are doing something wrong. And in that moment, I realized like I held a lot of like really toxic, like anti-feminine beliefs where I was like, oh, I like actually didn't believe in abortion until it was like me and my body and like what I needed to do. And it's because everyone, when they talk about it, they're like, you know, we think people should be allowed to get abortions, but like, we don't really want it to happen. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Like, first of all, thank you for sharing your story and your experience. I think it's incredibly powerful to hear and also brave because it is still, I mean, obviously look at the time (laughs) we're living in abortion is stigmatized, but like, I think you're right. I have heard other women talk about finding clarity around not wanting kids when a pregnancy happened. And sometimes they took the abortion route or sometimes miscarriage or, you know, like it terminated in some way. But like, yeah, I think it is those moments of like that decision is a reality. It's not uh, like, uh, oh, do I want to do it? It's like not ambiguous anymore. It's real. And of course, how would you know otherwise, except for when you're like really like forced with the decision? And yeah, I mean, think about it with like so many other things in our lives. Like we tell young people all the time to like do internships. That way they like actually understand if they're going to like a job or not. Like there's all of these things. And, you know, I think when people talk about the divide between like the child free community and like parents, I actually think that that divide is is false and that it's one that's like meant to keep us apart. Yeah. Um, and like parenthood in reality isn't something that you can like try out, right? Like you can't like be yeah. a mom for like six months and then be like, this is like, I'm going to quit this job. So it's like one of the few, like, unless you are fortunate enough to like be in a family where you're like experiencing, like seeing other people have kids and like seeing the reality of that, which like I saw, I have two older sisters, they both have children and I was around when they were pregnant. I was around when these kids were born. Like I saw my sisters breastfeed and like be in pain. Like I saw my sisters like have difficult pregnancies. I saw my like nieces and nephews go through really difficult times in their early life. That's like as much of like a parenting preview as like you can really get. Yeah. Um, and so it just like, it, it's such a huge decision that we just like tell people that like you can't make you should just know it's a very weird and sticky thing I think it's like one of feel very inarticulate about it but like every other decision it's okay to try things out and parenthood it's not like you can't decide like you can't just like decide not to have your seven-year-old in your life anymore and so I think not knowing if you want to have children or not until you get pregnant is like actually pretty valid and also like yes we don't talk about what pregnancy looks like and like actually how scary it is yeah it's a really scary process and it's like a medical thing that's happening to our bodies and to not allow people to control that in a way that we acknowledge that it is that individual's body and that individual's choice and like a decision that is okay to make once you are pregnant to decide not to have a child as like a really valid thing. Yeah. 
Absolutely. And I love something you said there was that the divide between child-free and parents isn't real. Can you talk more about that? Yeah. Yeah. That's <laughs> another one of my beats. Um, <laughs> so when I was going through the process of, of freaking out and deciding what I was going to do, I had a good friend who she is a decade older than me. Uh, we met when we were living I was living in a different city. She doesn't live. She lives on the East coast, but not where I live now. And she was really open in like in our early friendship about how difficult it is to be a parent. She has two kids and she would say stuff like having kids sucks. And like, it's really hard to be a parent. And she'd be like, my teenager is a jerk to me. Like they're mean, they do this. And she's so honest about it. And then really importantly, she told me also in my early 20s that she had had an abortion and she had an abortion after having children. Mm. Um, And it was just like something that she had told me of like, this is just another fact of my life. Like I have kids. I am your friend. I do these things. Also, like I have had an abortion. And so when I was like very scared and like knew immediately that I was going to terminate the pregnancy, there was no question for me about what I was going to do. But there was all these questions about like, am I going to tell people? Am I going to talk about this? How do I process this? Like, what does this mean for me? And so I called this friend and she was so simple about it. She Like her very first question was just like, do you want to have a baby right now? And I was like, no. And she was like, okay, great. Like (laughs) you are going to get an abortion. Like, do you need my help? Like, do I like need to call clinics for you? And it was just this like very like yes or no question. And Having somebody that modeled, like, one, that parenthood is difficult and that it's, like, okay to, like, make the choice not to have children because it is hard. And then being fortunate to, like, have that same person be open herself about getting an abortion. It was amazing. (laughs) Like, she's, like, my biggest ally. She's this, like, amazing, amazing person in my life. And I think that, like, having a parent affirm my decision to be child-free made me feel really validated. Like having someone who has kids say like, it's totally valid not to have them validates me. And I hope that as a child-free person, when I say like, I'm not having kids because it's really hard. And like, I like, I don't want that. Like, I don't feel called to that, that it validates parents in two ways. First, that it like, it makes them feel seen. Like it makes them feel witnessed that the lives that they're living are difficult And second, that it makes them feel that the path that they're choosing is something like special and unique and important for them, right? Like we all want to feel like what we're doing is like special and unique and important. And I think that parents, when you just tell them like you have to have kids, everybody has kids, like they miss some of that. I hope that by not having kids, they see that their path like is something special that they're choosing. And I hope that like my relationship with parents, that they can do the same for me and affirm that like my path is something special that I'm choosing. And yeah, I think that like parents and child-free people should really be like each other's cheerleaders all the time. Like we should just like hype each other. Like I could never do that. Like that seems really hard. And like, (laughs) I also could never do that. That seems really hard. Yes, I completely agree. And I love everything that you've said. And It's interesting. One of the first people I told that I'd made the decision not only to be child free, but I was going into like going to take my coaching career that direction of focusing on child free people was my friend who's older than me and has a teenager. And she was like, oh, my God, that's amazing. She's been my number one like Mm -hmm. cheerleader of of my choice and my 
career and and everything. And like that just means the world to me. And I hope that I can reflect back. I try to reflect back to her, like how much I admire what she's doing and how hard it it is. Because you're right. Like, I think we are each other's cheerleaders and supports. And like, there's a lot that can take place there. And that if we like focus on that fictitious divide, which is often talked about, then it just like, it hurts everyone. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's like really funny, the beats that get talked about in the child-free community. And I think sleep is one of them. Yeah. And like, and it's like true for me. I'm like every day when I get to sleep and I'm like, thank God I don't have a child because <laughs> I love sleeping in and I'm bad at waking up in the morning. And also like, I don't want my like joking around about like being well rested to like diminish the fact that like parents aren't well rested. I actually want it to like make them feel validated that what they're doing is something that's really hard and that they do deserve breaks so they can be well rested too. I just don't want them to say like, you don't get to be well rested or like your rest is less important because you don't have children, right? Like I think where that comes from is just being not validated as humans. It's like your life isn't meaningful because you don't have children. I feel like I need to strike back and say like, it's meaningful and I'm well rested. Like, and I I have beautiful skin now. And (laughs) And when parents like also don't feel validated, they feel the need to like strike out and say like, well, like your sleep doesn't matter because your life doesn't matter. Like be well rested because you're not doing anything important. And like, that's like, that's hard because it just like, it comes from a place that's like so understandable as humans, which is we just, we want to be validated and we want to be witnessed and we want to be cared for and we want our lives to feel like they're meaningful. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think like there is so much capacity to, like you've been saying, validate and care for each other, especially child-free and parents together. That doesn't always happen. And doesn't always happen. Yeah. 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 So going back to your story, have you received much in terms of like pushback around your choice not to have kids? So like, yes, I think I've received like all of the general societal things that people hear like, oh, like you'll change your mind and you might feel differently about this. I got sterilized last fall. And I think that kind of like brought a lot of it to a head where it was like, oh, like, are you sure that you want to do this? Like, this seems crazy. And for me, like the decision to get sterilized was co-occurrent with the overturning of Roe v. Wade. So on May 2nd of 2022, when the Dobbs decision came out, I instantly came home. Like I walked through the door and it's like, I'm getting sterilized. Like I have like made the decision. It is happening. And that was great for me. Like I can talk more about that in a second, but I'll focus on like the pushback about being child-free because that's like really when I first started to get pushback against it. When people were like, this is a permanent decision that you're making. Are you sure you love children? You're such a good aunt. Like you you love all these things. And which is true. I do love children. I just don't want to have them. Right. Um, but like the the pushback that's the most hurtful for me, like the one that is most hurtful and also the most interesting for me to talk about is that people frequently say that it must be my husband's decision and not mine. Um, so when I was like going through the process of getting sterilized, a lot of like the questions that people had is like, well, why isn't Glenn getting sterilized? Like, you know, vasectomies are so much easier. Like, why isn't he doing it? Like, isn't this something that he wants? And I think that when people say that 
it's coming from a place of care. Like it's coming from a, like, I don't want you to do something that you're going to regret. I don't want this to be a decision that like you can't turn back from, which sterilization actually isn't like I could do IVF if I wanted to, but why it is hurtful is because it, it sends the message that like, this couldn't possibly be a choice that I'm making for myself. And I don't think that there's anything that I've done in my life that was more for myself than getting sterilized. Like it is this thing that I feel so proud about because it's a moment where I like really did something that I was like, this is for me. Like this is like deeply, deeply selfish for me. And it also like gives me total control of my body in a way that I've never experienced. And I think that like for the percentage of the population that can't experience pregnancy, it's really hard to understand what it feels like to have a capacity for your body to do something that you're so out of control over, like have a baby. And so like getting sterilized was like me making my body something that could only be mine and that I would have total control over. And it was like really, really important to me. And then like really hurtful when people say like, this must be just something like you're just doing it because your husband doesn't want to have kids. Mm, yeah. Yeah. I relate so much to it being such a like empowering thing to do and to like take control of not just like my body, but in, in my life choice, like this really supports the life I want to live in getting sterilized myself, which actually you were a big support mm-hmm. and advocate and like comfort. Yeah. We got, it was so like close together. Yeah. It was like, yeah. Yeah. And it was, yeah, so validating. And I, and like thinking about that, like I had you and Zoe, who's been on the podcast and Brenda, who her episode just went live today. Oh, who, nice. Like I got to know all three of you and you'd all done it. And I think like thinking back on my own experience, I think it would have been a totally different experience if I didn't have other women openly speaking about going through it and like sort of normalizing it for me because I remember going to the doctor and I was like shaking because I was afraid that I was going to be told like, no, I was going to have a really hard time. And then I was like, what happens then? Like how much energy do I have to fight for this? But like I had a very easy time of it. But also just having all of you and your examples and your support is just like, incredible. Yeah. Yeah. I like, I love our little like, like team sterilization (laughs) and wink of like, yeah. Cause I, I told you and you immediately were like, oh, like Zoe just did this. And I was like another, like, I am not (laughs) insane. I'm not doing something that like no one else does like amazing. And then it was like, and then you, and then Brenda. And I was like, oh, like I like all these people. And like, I think everyone is like making the decision that's right for them. Like I'm, I'm also making the decision that's right for me. It's funny that you that you say like going to the doctor was like you were like afraid that these barriers were going to pop up because I felt the exact same way. I was like, I'm going to like use the actual term. How am I going to pronounce this like bilateral salpingectomy? I was like, (laughs) I have to like research it first. And I remember like when I went in. So Massachusetts has like some some weird laws around sterilization and I'll just acknowledge that the history of those laws comes from the history of forced sterilization in the U.S. So I'm grateful that those laws exist because forced sterilization is wrong. And like, there's a lot of grappling with the history of that that needs to be done. But the way it played out for me personally is like in Massachusetts, you have to sign a consent form 30 days before your procedure. But that consent form is only valid for six months. 
And Mm -hmm. since I was going through this process right as the Dobbs decision was coming out, I was pretty panicked that like I actually wasn't going to be able to get a surgery date in this 30 to 60. I traveled to Boston for my care, which is three and a half hours away from where I live. And so once again, it was like this, oh, like I have to get in the car. I have to do all these things. So I had to go into Boston three times prior to surgery. I had to go in to sign this consent form in person. I had to go in for a pre-op and then I had to like go in for a pre-op appointment like before the actual surgery. So three times, including the surgery. And my hospital made me talk to a, a family fertility coach, which was like pretty weird. And I remember at every step being really afraid that they were going to tell me no if I just messed something up, right? Like when I was on the phone with the fertility coach, um, I was like, are they going to ask me weird questions? <laughs> like, is there something wrong with you? Like, do you know why you don't want to have children? And I was like, right. they, thankfully they weren't. They were just like, you don't want to have kids. And I was like, no. And they were like, okay, great. <laughs> like check. <laughs> um, and then like when I went in to sign this paperwork, I was also afraid, oh, like how many forms of ID do I need to bring? Like, am I going to mess something up? It has to be witnessed and like notarized. It's a lot. Wow. Um, Yeah. I was able to just do it at my doctor's office, but it still was this like weird step of like, could something go wrong? And then when I went in for my pre-op appointment, the OBGYN who performed my surgery uh, asked if like a fellow could be in the room, like someone in residency as they like did my appointment. So I had the experience of like, not only being like, I need to explain to this doctor that I know what sterilization is and I want to get sterilized. I now need to do it in front of this resident. And it was a male resident. And so in my mind, I was like, this is the moment. Like this person is young. They are learning. I need to like make them an advocate for women getting (laughs) sterilized. I got to like have my stuff together. Like I need to like be smart and be calm and like I cannot ask any questions. I just need to act like I have my stuff together because if I ask the wrong question, maybe they're going to decide I can't do this. Or like Mm -hmm. if I ask this like thing, like maybe this male resident is going to be like women who get sterilized are crazy. (laughs) Like It was like performance pressure almost. Yeah. And it was fine. Like they were all really nice. I like felt the need to be like really forceful and being like, I am doing this because of Roe. If Roe hadn't happened, I probably wouldn't have taken the step immediately. And so like you as medical professionals with like power, because like this is a medical procedure, like please tell everyone that you know that women are getting sterilized because of this. Like please tell everyone that like you're immediately seeing the impact and that like young women are coming to you and being like this, this is impacting my life. And then in the surgery, like, I don't know if you had this experience, but like in the operation room, they also had to ask me like a ton of times if I knew the procedure I was getting. So it was like the pre-op nurse had to like come in and verify, like, do you know what procedure you're getting? And I was like, yes, like I'm getting a bilateral salpingectomy. And then she was like, okay, but do you actually know what that is? And I was like, yeah, I'm getting sterilized. And then the anesthesiologist has to ask you. And then the entire surgical team came in and had to like verify with me, which is like, I'm glad that they do. Like I have a friend who is a doctor in an ER and he's witnessed errors happen. Like he's witnessed, Mm -hmm. uh, I think they're called like wrong side errors where they're like supposed to like amputate your right thumb and instead they amputate your left thumb. Like those things happen. And so these like medical procedures, like checks and balances, are important. But like in the moment, I was just like, 
are they going to tell me no? Like if I say something wrong, like, am I going to come this far and have them tell me no, which like didn't happen, but right. Yeah. It was like, it's a little scary. Yeah. Yeah. I'm trying to remember back. I don't think I was asked that many times. I do remember there was an intake form when I was getting prepped for surgery and I had to write out like what I was having done and what that meant. And, Mm -hmm. but I think that might've been the only time that it was really like, do you know what you're doing kind of thing. Since having it done, what has your experience been and how do you feel about it? I feel great about it. It's been really good. (laughs) So like I have a piece coming out, uh, like a written published piece coming out soon. I fingers crossed, like it's hopefully going to be out in June uh, in print and also online. And the piece is called P is for Pregnant. And it is a lot about like what I just talked about, like the process of getting pregnant, having an abortion, coming to identify as child free, and then ultimately like getting sterilized. But it also talks about my teenage years and kind of like the greater arc of my relationship with pregnancy. I wrote this piece as a way to sort out how I was feeling about all of it afterwards. Cause it like, in so many ways, like it, it seemed fast. And like, as I was saying at the Mm. beginning of the podcast, all of this happened during COVID, right? Like I got pregnant during COVID. The Dobbs decision came out when we were still like masking. When I got sterilized, Glenn couldn't really, I mean, he could come into the hospital with me, but he couldn't go past a certain point. Like I was like very alone And I had a mask on up until the point that they put like me under anesthesia. Yep. And all of this like huge identity shift for me happened in a moment where I was like really physically isolated from people. I live in a small town. We moved here during COVID. I have friends here now, but like didn't have friends here for a lot of it. So I wrote this piece to kind of sort out like my thoughts and kind of like step into this identity and now I'm like, oh, this is amazing. Like this feels like one of like the best transformations of my life. Like I now feel more authentically myself than I think I've ever felt before. I now feel like more able to talk about like who I am and what are my values and like how I move through the world in a way that I haven't before. And it's funny because so much of this is what we do in creating a meaningful child-free life, right? Like we talk about like What is our identity? What are our values? Where do we get messaging from society that affirms us? How do we like accept or reject that? But all of that is like the process that I kind of did like by myself for like a long time. And so like now one, it's great to do it in community with other people, but two, it's incredible to come out on the other side of it and be like, oh, I like, I really like myself. And like, I like, I like what has happened here and I feel proud of it. And I hope that like talking about it can help other people. I really hope that no one experiences what I experienced with like the unexpected pregnancy and certainly not with how difficult it was to obtain an abortion during COVID. But if you are, if you're listening to this podcast (laughs) and this happens to you one day, I hope that you can like hear this very authentic joy in my life and know like I came out on the other side of it and I'm like, this is amazing. I have an amazing community, like Wink is an amazing community but I also have like an amazing community here. I have an amazing writing community and none of it would have been possible if not for that really bad moment. I think I might still be a fence sitter actually. Like, I think I still might just be like, you know, living this like life where I'm like, I can't see myself having kids and I'm not going to try to have children, but I'm not going to speak about why it actually is meaningful for me not to have children. And I'm not going to like really claim this life that I want as a woman who is child-free. So 10 out of 10 would go through it all again. And I feel really (laughs) good about it, but like it's a process. Yeah. 
Yeah, that's so true. I like think this is a perfect segue because as you kind of mentioned, part of the course that we came up with sort of like reflects aspects of both our personal journeys and things we did to really, which were similar, like learning about our own personal values, bringing them to the forefront, really solidifying our choice to be child-free and and learning to live into it. And then the culmination of that being this course that we brought to life together, which has just been so cool to do. So yeah. a little bit of background, we ran two we called them pilots to test out the material that we were thinking, tweak things and like get general feedback from the participants. And it was a really cool experience just to like not only bring this thing to life together, but see people progress through it and how it impacted mm -hmm. them was so cool. And like, I mean, there's one person in particular that I'm thinking of. So at the end, we had people chart out their goals for their child-free life and whatever time frame they wanted. And one person is like, right now she is doing what she had put in her presentation. It just gives me chills. Like, yeah. Um, I mean, not to say that it was because she did the course that she is now living it, but like, uh, it's cool to witness someone be like, this is what I want to do. And now to like, see her going and doing it is pretty phenomenal. Yeah. It's amazing. Yeah. So like what stood out to you from doing the pilots and doing this course together? Yeah. I mean, one, it's very funny. So the, the main difference between the two pilots and why we ran two is we wanted to see if it would work better to meet every week or work better to meet every other week. And so honestly, like my biggest takeaway was like, I cannot do every other week meetings, <laughs> which is like such like a not important takeaway. But for <laughs> me, I'm like, oh, like it's a very, it was a very important learning moment about myself. Yeah. Um, Not to say that the every other week meeting wasn't like incredible things still happened in that pilot. I just realized like I was much more frazzled on an every other week schedule, Likewise. like beyond the logistical <laughs> learnings that I had about myself. I was just like really struck. Like in both pilots, there were moments. And I think this might've been why it was so hard to do the every other week thing because they would like echo each other in these like mm. very interesting ways. Like somebody would say something that was almost identical to what somebody else had said in another pilot or in the other program, but they were not similar people. Like they had like totally different life experiences. Right. They had like different factors and what they were doing, but they were like kind of like reaching these like co-discovered things that were like really deep and meaningful. And I was thinking about it earlier. And I think that like in some ways being child-free is like seen through the looking glass. Like it's like Alice falling into Wonderland where like once you start to say, oh, like everyone is like living their lives on this assumption that like we have children and we want to have children and we should have children. We should want to have children. And the moment that I say like something is wrong with that logic and the something is everyone, not everyone wants that. And in fact, I am one of those everyone's who does not want it. Then you just start like, questioning everything you're like wait what like what if like this seems strange and this seems strange and peeling back this like very large cultural assumption that is parenthood and like child raising and like what what it means and what it means about who we are then opens you up to like all of these other things you're like if I don't believe that like I have to have children like what else do I not believe in and so seeing that in the pilot and seeing the ways in which that can really be 
beautiful, like the way it can affirm people to like try new things and live new things and try on new identities and say like, well, maybe I don't, maybe I don't like other things. Like maybe I don't like pizza. (laughs) Like maybe, (laughs) like maybe there's all these other things that I've just been doing because I thought I had to do them, which is simultaneously like a very exciting space to be in, but is Mm -hmm. also very scary as a human to be like, if I lived my whole life thinking that I wanted children or had to have children and I don't, what else have I lived my life believing? Like, what else is this? And I think that's why the creating a meaningful child-free life is like so like close to my heart in a lot of ways of like, if we're like opening these doors to like, okay, we're going to like pull back on our cultural assumptions. I don't want people to like walk through into that space and then feel totally abandoned, right? Like, I want them to walk through into that space and say like, oh, here are other things I could do. Like, it's okay. Because it's kind of like the bottom falling out of your world in a lot of ways. If you grow up thinking the ultimate thing for a woman to do is to have children. And we see this a lot with our our other very important allies, which are women who are childless or families who are childless or men who are childless, that like, once this thing is taken away from you, like what is going to fill that space? And so this course, you know, like what I'm passionate about it, what I find so exciting in it, what it's so beautiful to see is when people say like for one reason or another, like I'm child free, I'm childless, I'm a previously childless person who's now moved into an identity of being child free. I'm excited to fill that space. I'm excited to find something that I find meaningful and have that space be filled. And like, that's like what this, what the whole course is about for me. Yeah, absolutely. And it's interesting too, because my entry point of working with people around their child-free choices as like a one-on-one coach. And what I love about the course is I think it brings in an element that one-on-one coaching can't do, which is to be validated in real time Mm -hmm. in the like community that is in the course with you. And that's just something that is like, I think immensely powerful and yeah, like honestly, one-on-one coaching can't provide that. I think one-on-one coaching has its place in like, if you're someone who's still grappling with the decision or like just needs a more intimate space to sort out your thoughts. But like, yeah, I just think that the power of community is really incredible and really cool to see with this pilot and with the course. Yeah. I mean, that's kind of like, if we're looking at like the story arcs of like what we've talked about in this podcast, like the power of community is something that we've like really organically talked about, right? Like when we were talking about our relationship, not just with each other around sterilization, but like Zoe and Brenda, it's like, it's one thing to be told by yourself that your choice is okay. It's another thing to have it validated by one person. And then it is a totally different and transformative thing when there's a community around it, right? Like when it goes from being like, it's me, I'm weird. I'm okay with it. Okay. There's like one other person and like, we're weird together to like, oh, like this is like, this is amazing and this is beautiful and like it's all of us and like we're all like building this thing together. Yeah, community is so so important and like it's so cool when it actually happens. Yeah, totally. And yeah, like as we're talking about this, uh, I do want to mention that we are going to be launching the course now. Now that we've run our two pilots, we've like fine-tuned things. We do want to launch this course and it will, we're shooting for a start date of August 7th, kind of shortly after International Child Free Day, which is August 1st. Um, And then 
yeah, that will be the start date. We'll have like a max capacity of six participants. Uh, we like that sort of intimate group number. It it just sort of feels like a good cap for really being able to have in-depth conversations, but also like being able to share openly and like giving everyone enough time to speak. If we went above that, it would just be a lot harder to facilitate that in the amount of time that we have with our groups. And yeah, is there anything you want to add to what I've said? Just that I'm super excited for it. Like I think when we were making it in the pilot, like we had this clear idea of what we wanted it to be. And then like every week we would kind of like, we knew the theme of the week, we knew the activities, but then we would like kind of check in with each other and be like, is this right? Like, what do you think of the PowerPoint? Like this like little (laughs) scramble that would happen every week. Yeah. And now it's like, we've run it, we've run it twice, we've seen it, like we know kind of like, what are the hot points? Like, where are we going to like linger? Like how is discussion going to kind of like develop? And having this like really solid idea of how how this class works and now having had the summer where we're making a workbook, we're going in, we're revamping it, we're like doing, we're taking all this feedback that we got from the pilots that were amazing. And so now I'm just like excited to see it run in not a pilot capacity. I'm excited to see it run as like a, we know what we're doing and it's going to be great. And like, <laughs> I also miss it quite a lot. Like it's such like a grounding thing every week to just to get to... Yeah be with people in these little community groups. So I'm, I'm really excited for it. And I'm so excited to know that like, that's on, on like the other side of this summer chaos. Yes, I completely agree. And, and like you said, I really miss the, the sessions too. I found them also quite grounding and like, they ultimately became my weekly highlight, just these really meaningful hours together. It's so unique Like one thing I've noticed in the pilot in Wink Club, it's just like people having a space to really talk about this is rare. And so like having this protected space and then to get to dive in in depth to people's like experiences and dreams. And it's just like, ah, that's so cool. Um Yeah. Yeah. I mean, like how many spaces in our lives do we get to do that? Right. Like like the way that this these classes work for for those of you listening at home the way these <laughs> classes work is like each week like Anna and I have like a topic that we're talking about and it like runs a big gamut like we start with looking at like cultural models of like meaning making and like where culturally people are told meaning in their life come from and it's this like big theoretical framework that I like give my like cute little lecture on (laughs) and then we like talk about like where does it show up in our actual lives though like where am I told that like I'm only meaningful if I'm like working a job that makes money or like where am I told in my life that I only have value if I am a parent or where in my life am I told that I only have value if I'm like doing something in service of my community and how does that help me and also how does it hurt me and like having really authentic conversations And then we go into other wild things. Like we talk about rituals. We talk about like what we want to do with our own personal lives and like how frequently in our lives as adults do we get to be like intensely focused on and listened to by people who just like really want to know you and know about you and like affirm you. Like it's not, it's not something we get a lot. And to get to do that every week is just like, it's so fun. And it's so like, yeah, it's so amazing. Yeah, it really is. And I can't wait to get it up and running again late summer. And so, yeah, we will be sharing more details as it gets closer and enrollment opens up. 
I'll share more details here on the podcast, on my website, Instagram, all the things. So just wanted to give a soft launch to let people know about it today. And then there will be details coming as we get closer. So yeah. Amazing. Yeah. I'm so excited. It's going to be great. Yeah. yeah. And it, it's funny, like it, it creeps into my life now. Like I was talking to Glenn yesterday and said something about like, I'm, I'm a wholehearted person. Like I can only do it if I feel it like all the way. And that's not vocabulary I would have like used before the course, but like in the course, we, we identify our values. This is one of Anna's exercises. So I got to like experience it as a participant. And I was like, Oh, like my value is like, I am a wholehearted person. Yeah. Yeah. And I love it. And it is so fun to see people like claim their values. And it's so interesting also to be like hearing someone be like, you know what? I figured this out about myself. And then like everyone else is like, yeah, that totally, like I see it too. And it like shows up in this way. And like, we can reflect that back to each other, which is just like so fun. But yes, like to me, you are a very wholehearted person (laughs) and it's so fun that you're claiming it and like using that vernacular now. And yeah, it's really fun. I'm super excited for it. Yeah. And and like, it is interesting. Like I have my own sort of like shifts with it, like realizing like I I have this thing about sometimes feeling invisible and it being like called out for me, but like also being shown that I am seen and that was super impactful. And like, I think about that a lot, but yeah. Yeah. It's like, it's funny as the facilitators, like something that happens is like, people will tell us things about ourselves. Like they'll be like, (laughs) Oh yeah, of course. Like Anna, you da 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 like you always do this, or like I see this, and you're like, I I do do that, or like do <laughs> I do that? Like it's just like really, it's like more of like the Alice in Wonderland, like funhouse mirror type of stuff. Where like, and this this is the value of community, right? Like this yeah. is the working of community. Is that like when you can't hold something by yourself, community can hold it with you. When you can't see it in yourself, like community can like see it for you and they can really like reflect it back at you just to like, you know, continue to disclose a lot of stuff about my life. I was like talking to my therapist a couple of weeks ago. I was like having a like hard family moment, but not like overly hard. And she was like, Oh, like, how did you do deal with that? And I was like, well, I was having lots of negative self thoughts. Like, you know, my normal negative self thoughts are like, I'm irresponsible. Like I'm not mm-hmm. I'm not doing enough. I'm not good enough. And I, and I knew that like, I didn't have the capacity in myself to say something nice to myself. I'm sad right now. Like I can only say these mean things to myself. And I went and hung out with like a group of friends that like, we have like a Wednesday meetup, which interestingly, like many of them now like wear this child-free identity too. The Berkshires are a fun, weird little place. And, (laughs) but like, in that, like, I, like, got there and they were, like, you're, like, I don't even remember what I did. Like, I, I did something. Like, I probably, like, brought cookies with me. And one of them was just, like, you're so thoughtful. Like, you're always, like, thinking of us. And I was, like, I cannot say that about myself to myself right now. But, like, having someone say that to me is, like, it's helping. Like, it's getting me to the place where I can say that about myself again. And that's what community is. And, like, that's why these classes are these like small groups are so important because like sometimes we can say like, I want to be X type of person. Like I want to be an inspirational person or I want to be a calm presence for other people. 
but we don't feel it. But then you step into like, you know, your Wednesday night class with us. And one of your classmates is just like, oh, like, it's so nice to have you here. You're always such like a calming presence. And you're like, okay, like I couldn't say that to me today, but like someone else could say it to me. And that's, that is what community is, right? Like when we can hold things and affirm and witness each other in this way that like makes the things that are important to us more true for ourselves. Yeah. Absolutely. Oh, that's so true. And such a powerful example. We need each other. Yeah. I mean, if you think about all these things, like if you sit down and you like, you know, do your, your values exercise and you say like, you know, something that's really important to me and my self identity is like, I'm a kind person. Like, I love that I'm kind. I love that I like, you know, bring joy. Those are two things like kindness and joy that you like really can't do by yourself. You can be like kind to yourself. But if I was like living in my house and not interacting with any other person or like animal, I wouldn't be like, I am a kind person (laughs) because like, I have no one to be kind to. Like you can't say like, I'm like all of these things that are really important to our identity are things that exist in relationship to other people. And this is like, you know, it's kind of the weird thing coming out of COVID is like all these things that we like, believed and thought about yourself, you're like, well, am I a kind person if I just spent the last six months hiding in my apartment? Like, I don't know. Like, (laughs) how do I, how do I re-enter the world? And yeah, you know, our individualist capitalist society, which if you join our class, you will hear me talk about a lot, (laughs) um, tells us that we should exist in a vacuum, right? Like that we should be things in a vacuum that if you aren't something by yourself, then you aren't enough. And the ways in which we've translated that often is like, you know, telling people like, if you're not doing it just for yourself, then there's something wrong with that. If you're not Mm -hmm. existing just by yourself, then like, that means you're not independent. Like you need to be an independent person, but like, we don't need to be independent in that way. Like we need to be People who like know what we want for ourselves, like in the same way that like I know that I don't want children for myself, but parts of my identity exist purely because of my relationship with other people. And they are the parts of my identity that I like the most. Like Mm. I like that I'm funny and like I'm not around to laugh at my own jokes. Like (laughs) like, laughing at my own jokes like does nothing for me. Um. And that's like, you know, why this this class is also such a passion project is like getting giving people the opportunity to exist in community again and to like yeah. be that person in their community to be like seen and witnessed and funny and calm and interesting and all these things in community because they are more important and more impactful for us when we are in community. I'm going to get the quote right, but I'm not going to get the credit right. I did not say this. Somebody else did. I will look it up. But there's this like quote that I heard a couple of years ago that like fundamentally changed my life, which was Mm -hmm. when we shout self-care at people who need community care, we fail them. Mm -hmm. And it's like, this is like, that's like, that's it for me, right? Like I can't self-care myself out of being depressed. I can't self-care myself out of feeling lonely. I can only do that in community. And not giving people the space for community is like, we're failing people, like people need community. And so that's like, that's like what this is. That's what Wink is. That's like what all the work that you've done, Anna, like you saw this problem and you created a community. We really need it. So it's, it's great that it exists. 
Yeah. Yeah. Well, it wouldn't exist without people joining. So <laughs> yeah, <laughs> thanks <Community>. for joining. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It has been really cool. And I think like, yeah, I just, I love everything you just said there. Also like need to make you a co-host because you're really good at this. <laughs> yeah. I mean, this is, this is my first like time on a podcast, but I love podcasts and I, I was like going to make like a longtime listener, first time caller joke when I joined. <laughs> But yeah, no, I'm so happy to like be able to do this with you and to join. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you so much for taking the time. And like, yeah, everything you brought to Wink and, you know, like, I just want to point out, like, that's all been your passion and, and like you volunteered your time, which is just like so incredible. And I want to like note that. Thanks for everything. Thanks for sharing your story on the podcast. Thanks for joining Wink and helping make it what it is. And it's an honor to know you. Yeah. Well, I'm very, very grateful to to know you as well and to have the Wink community. And like, you know, sometimes like the Instagram algorithm, like it just works, right? Like I wouldn't, yeah. I wouldn't have you if not for Instagram. And I think like, I mean, truly deeply like you and wink have changed my life like i could not be this person i like i couldn't have a space where i get to express like this side of myself without it and it's like for every bit of work that i put into the community i get so much more out so i i really appreciate it mm, thanks that means a lot that's really cool well is there anything else before we wrap up um i think that's it um okay. Yeah. I mean, I know we have a lot more planned with like doing like Q and A's and like, you know, yeah. we didn't plug this, but we do have the wink retreat coming up. So right. <laughs> there will, there will be more. Yes. More to come. <laughs> and if anyone wants to connect with you after hearing this, how can they do so? Yeah. So I, I have a, an Instagram that you can follow. Um, it's like not great content. It's like plants, Taylor Swift, and occasional <laughs> writing, which is like, is my life, but my handle is really good. It's at donut trash panda. Um, <laughs> and then I also have a website that you can, um, check out some of my writing when I get published, it goes up there. Um, I have like a little plug for the child free stuff. And then I have a, a blog about my trees. So if you want to hear <laughs> more tree facts and it's, um, kyliawrites.com, it's spelled K-A-I-L-I-A writes w-r-i-t-e-s it's just like a fun little pun on my name but you can follow me there as well perfect so when your article comes out will that be linked to oh yeah i'm gonna i'm gonna publicize it everywhere it's coming out in an anthology being put out by grub street writing center in boston that's called our body our stories uh stories of birth abortion and miscarriage and I have not read everything in it, but I am very confident that I'm the only child-free essay in it. So I'm going to be like, you know, pushing it out. So that um, it should come out if you're in Boston. It's going to be available for free in hard print at um, Porter Square Books, and then it will be online everywhere. So I will, as soon as they, as soon as they release it, I will be pushing it everywhere. <laughs> awesome! I cannot wait. I really cannot. So. Fabulous. We will be looking for it and excited to read it. And thanks so much, Kai, for coming on the podcast. It's been an honor having you and we'll have you back. Yeah, I'll be back. (laughs) (laughs) All right. We'll catch you next time. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. And if you haven't already, please consider sharing, rating, and reviewing 
this podcast. This is how we reach more people. And in doing so, that's how we break the stigma. I would really appreciate your support in that and helping this podcast reach more listeners. And if you're someone who is struggling with any aspect of your child-free life, head over to my website and book your free clarity call. We'll talk about how you can start living your best child-free life with intention and purpose today.